Some people are drawn to fame, while others desire privacy and seclusion. Neil Peart, drummer for Canadian prog rock sensation Rush, fell into the latter category, struggling to cope with the trappings of fame. His feelings about being in the limelight and his difficulty with coming to grips with fame and autograph seekers and a sudden lack of privacy and sudden demands on his time, he was having a very difficult time dealing with it. I mean, we all were, but I think he was having the most difficulty of the three of us adjusting, said Getty Lee, singer and bassist for the band. This intense discomfort would lead Peart to pen one of Rush's most popular songs, featuring in several films, including the Judd Apatow comedy I Love You Man, and eventually being inducted into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame, along with four other Rush songs on March 28th of 2010. In honor of Neil Peart and his legacy, we're talking Limelight on Cover Me. That's right, it's Cover Me, the only podcast that talks about famous songs and their many cover versions and their many cover versions and compares them against one another to find out which one wants to seem and which one wants to be. Mm. I'm your host as always, Jake Cressy, joined by my famous co-host, Alex Mildenberger. That's why I do this. It's all for the fame. <laughs> it's all for the fame. Classic oh, yeah. wanting to seemer over here. <laughs> oh, I would love to seem. But if only yeah. I could also beam. <laughs> I'm seeming and beaming, bro. Mm. All right. So, we're talking about a Rush song finally. That's pretty exciting. We did a bit. Mm-hmm. We talked about Rush before. Yeah, um, their cover of the uh, the Buffalo Springfield song, For yes, What It's Worth. For What It's Worth. Um, but this is the first Rush, Rush song. Um, they are the number one in this. That's not what we call them, but uh, that's what I'm calling them now. Uh, and this is pretty exciting because, uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of Rush. I think you're a pretty big fan of Rush as well. Uh, I am... B- Honestly, by coincidence, wearing my Rush Clockwork Angels tour t-shirt. This is a pretty cool t-shirt because it's the one that they only sold at uh, the show we went to in Mm -hmm. Red Deer uh, because it was for flood relief. Because we were supposed to go in Calgary uh, and uh, they canceled the show because of of flooding in southern Alberta. Mm -hmm. So we went to the other and yeah, so that's pretty cool. We saw this uh, th- that concert the on their Clockwork Angels tour, which was pretty exciting, even though we had terrible, terrible seats. Um, yeah. I saw Rush two times, actually. The first time was in 2007 for Snakes and Arrows, which was also a pretty good show. I was younger and uh, didn't know a lot of Rush at the time. I remember around that time, someone asked me what my favorite band was, and I didn't like have... Deci- hadn't decided like picked a band to be my favorite mm-hmm. and and i just like said rush to to shut them up <laughs> it's like fine <laughs> it's rush okay and uh i kind of went with that for a couple of years just like I do you recall that being a defining trait for you in my <laughs> mind it's like alex he loves rush because you, you always have that snakes and arrows t-shirt too so i was like yep dude fucking loves it the one with the hands on it yeah yeah uh and a snake and an arrow Maybe just an arrowhead. Anyway, yeah. So that's that's my history with Rush. Yeah, I think not, I didn't not really that get you into asked them. or anything. No, that was kind of you know <laughs> uh, that's but, the inherent question. How do yeah. we relate to the song we're talking yeah. about? But yeah, I think you kind of brought me got me into Rush when way back in like junior high, probably when I would like download shit on LimeWire. <laughs> So then I would get like I got like a few of the popular songs, and then also like Lakeside Park. Well, you gotta have Lakeside Park, which is uh, 
kind of a weird song considering it's like on caress of steel which is a very like i mean it has like the necromancer on it i think and like and then this it's 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 very odd Mm-hmm. i believe at least think- one member of the band has been like no that's our worst song <laughs> yeah i i recall you telling me that i don't know which member it was me though yeah, it's and yeah, I guess part of the part of my reason for love and rush so much is that they they are Canadian, and that's you know something I get to take a little Canadian pride in. Yeah, that's definitely part of it because they have been like so successful without. I mean, obviously, we're talking about limelight. There there is an aspect of fame, but compared to like some like more pop focused like pop star types, it's not the same kind of fame. Like they're known mm-hmm. for like being really good at what they do. And yeah, that's kind real, of a different re- like sort of thing. Real musicians, to yeah. to use the term in a sort of, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I should use that term, but they're like technically proficient. It's prog rock, you know, like they're they're skilled. They're technically skilled, and I think they also are. I uh, like Neil Peart's a strong songwriter. Obviously, he's been inducted with at least five songs in the Hall of Fame yeah. for songwriters. Yeah, I've talked some shit about his songwriting before but uh that's that's all in good fun i think i hope because i really do i really do like their songs and their lyrics and uh yeah well there's like an element of directness to it right which can be mistaken for not being clever or like well written if he's just like because like we're gonna look at these lyrics and i think one they're very well written and two they're pretty direct yeah even though like there's some like prose to it all like like mm-hmm. it, it obviously has some inspiration from like um from literature but also uh and like there's some imagery and there's metaphors and whatever but he's really saying the thing he means you know? yeah you're not you don't leave limelight being like but what does he think about fame like it's it's, it's right there it's, it's all very there easy yeah. And yeah, so this is one of the most popular. It's featured in uh, in Rock Band as downloadable content, along with the rest of uh, Moving Pictures album. Um, it featured prominently in uh, in I Love You Man, which was which features Rush prominently for a strange reason. Yeah, well, that's they they like bond kind of over. They're like we both really like the band Rush, right? Hmm. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. That's what I remember. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And and then they they like form a, a cover band in Jason Siegel's garage. <clears throat> they just hang out and play Rush. And do I have anything else to say about this? No, it's I feel like I didn't listen to this song a lot when I when I listened to Rush's music. But it is a fucking banger. So, listening to it this week has been nice. Wish it could have been under more positive circumstances. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, for those of you not in the know, I guess Neil Peart passed away early January as a result of like super severe brain cancer. Yeah, which cancer's never fun. So. Yeah. And apparently if you're a Canadian musician, it's the only way you're allowed to pass. Yeah. Watch out for that brain cancer. That's uh I don't know, man. That that's we've got two in a just a couple of years, so yeah, because that was also how Gordon Downey died uh, from the tragically hip. In case that's not known to anyone. Hmm. So, uh, with that, Alex, any special connection to this song for you before we um, move to the lyrics? I wouldn't say this song in particular, other than it is like one of the 
iconic like rush songs that like mm-hmm. is definitely like top five list rush songs like this is on it for sure yeah it's currently um, number two in terms of popularity on spotify yeah and like even like we i think we both looked up like oh i went when neil peart uh what was it was announced that he died we both looked up like oh what song can we do and really it's this and closer to the heart like even have enough covers to support an episode mm-hmm. um but uh yeah that is definitely like as far as rush songs go it's uh very well known yeah so with that let's jump right into our uh lyrics interpretation we're yeah. gonna interpret the lyrics i right guess on. like that i should i should have opened this beforehand so i'd actually have it up um alex you want to start us off yeah, uh, we come in with a verse. He says, living on a lighted stage approaches the unreal. For those who think and feel in touch with some reality beyond the gilded cage. So, I mean, it's it's really a description of... He's like, hey, I, he's talking about the fame that he has had. Like, the, at this point, they've been touring for a number of years. I, they have several albums out already. Uh, they have a certain amount of success, even if I believe at this point, like critics weren't really into them, but they still had a fairly a fair fan base. Um, they've been going for a while, so um, right because you said early on <laughs> that uh, didn't they say Rush sounded like Led Zeppelin? Definitely, like first album and even supposedly their second album. They were I, I remember reading someone called them Led Zeppelin fetishists. But that might have been, like, for their first album didn't have Neil Peart, so there was definitely a different attitude, I think. Because mm. he's, I mean, they all work together, but I feel like, because he's, like, the lyricist, the primary lyricist, he was really influenced, a big influence on the direction the band took once he joined. Right. Yeah, I can't imagine, because, like, not only is he, like, the lyricist, but also <laughs> the, the drums are irreplaceable. Yeah, it's a, it's absolutely unique. I mean, when you're a th- three-man band, like, every part of you is pretty critical, but... Mm-hmm. All right, so, he's talking about being uh, achieving this level of fame, and I know there's some quotes from the other band members who kind of say, like, yeah, like, we'll, we'll go greet the fans or whatever. Like, Neil doesn't usually like to do that kind of thing. Oh, that, that comes up mm-hmm. later, actually. Uh, I shouldn't bring that up yet. But this is, he's, it, it feels weird. He's talking about the feeling at first. Um, yeah. And he says, for those who think and feel in touch with some reality beyond the Gilded Cage, I think he just means, like, I still have this connection to, like, a normal life. And I th- probably a lot of people do. I think there's a lot of people who can relate to this song who... Uh, are part of this sort of industry um and it it just feels it feels weird to him because it's not like normal life mm-hmm. and it's he is and he'll kind of clarify this later but he is he never went into this seeking fame mm-hmm. which is another reason why the the experience of living famously his uh, approaches the unreal it's bizarre it's because suddenly he is, you know, no longer just Neil Peart, musician. He is put in this gilded cage that, that you know, it's all the trappings of fame. It's how people interact with him. It's mm-hmm. how he's seen and what he is, what's expected of him, what he's allowed to do. And it was interesting watching, there's a, one of the, the genius annotations links to a video. And this guy talks about how he, like, 
met Neil Peart and was like, uh, hey, man, I'll love you. I'm like your biggest fan. And then, like, security, like, bounced him from the room. He's like, yeah, if I was Neil Peart and he fucking, did, I, I came in to see me, Neil Peart, I'd kick me out too. And it's just, like, even in his desire to not have these weird parasocial relationships, people still latch onto that even when he casts them out and is like, no, fuck off. I just need to, like, I just want to do my work. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, man, what was it? There was a... I think it was a description. It was like Tyler the Creator's like Twitter account description or something. It's like it was like never forget that you think you know me because you listened to a song for like two and a half minutes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like that kind of thing where it's like you don't really know me. Just like hurt saw me perform and that's cool, but like we we we're not friends. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that kind of permeates everything here. Yeah, per- that permeates a lot. <laughs> Particularly in our like in 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 this the year twenty twenty, yeah. with people being brands more and more. Like you know, if you're a content creator on YouTube, like you you as a viewer get to see so much of these people's lives that you you at some level think kind of think you know them. Yeah, and, yeah. It's I. It does seem to be that kind of th- where it's like people are following you because it feels like you have a friend you know mm-hmm. and i know i've done that before where i've listened to a podcast and like th- someone will say something and you'll like respond to it like yeah <laughs> and you're not with them like no one can hear you or like they'll say something and you're like i want to i want to respond to that but you can't you know mm-hmm. there's obviously a disconnect and it would be weird if you met that person and started talking about that they'd be like what i i don't remember saying that like <laughs> Yeah, or something. Yeah, that's anyway. so many interactions I see between like podcasters and like their fans on Twitter. Is like I don't remember saying that, but it's great that like you responded to yeah. that or like you like I'm, that. You I'm know? glad. Like, I'm okay. glad you're into it. Uh, anyway, of course that doesn't happen to us. But yeah, no, so no one interacts with us. But you could though. <laughs> you could. <laughs> I I wouldn't be mean about it. I would. Okay. Well, one of us has as to. Be. As soon as you get around, I'm like, oh, gross. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> So you could fucking talk to me? Kind of. Yeah. All right. And the gilded cage kind of imagery is fun because obviously it's gilded, so it's covered in gold, so it's very shiny mm-hmm. and like, flashy. But he's also talking about how he like feels like he's being like dragged out. It's like a human zoo, you know? Like yeah. people are ogling him, and he's just like there. But that's yeah, part 100%. of the like unrealness of it, because I think. I don't know. Would that be like different from being on the stage per se? Because obviously he's doing what he wa- likes to do when he's playing drums. But is mm-hmm. the Gilded Cage the stage, or is it just fame? I think in the the <laughs> broadest sense, it is just fame. Mm-hmm. Because I, he obviously has no problems performing. I think he does enjoy it. Right. It's uh, more so that that persona of who he is on stage, even though I would say he doesn't have like a real, he's, he's not like Kiss or something where he's dressed up in makeup. Yeah. But people see him as this, and people have uh, consistently called Neil Peart a fucking god, which is weird. That's a weird thing to be called if you're a guy who's just like, listen, I like music and I, it, like, I, it's like engaging with the world, which seems to be, seemed to be Neil Peart's thing. He did a lot of reading and you can see like his literary background in his songwriting Mm -hmm. and so for him he is now regardless of where he is 
he is beyond he's behind this gilded cage right he's trapped in that because people view him through that lens i see so i I would say it applies both on and off the stage yeah i guess that makes sense because it's all kind of part of it they're both Mm -hmm. different aspects of that so and then there's now this is called a pre-chorus I, I don't know if I'd call this part a pre-chorus. That's what it's called in Genius, uh, the next yeah. section. Because like, it almost feels like two verses. It's a little different from the verse, from the first verse section, but it doesn't feel like a transition into a chorus to me. Yeah, and it's like the same that. number of lines. Yeah. It's, it's really just, and it's the pre-chorus is not consistent because they have two labeled as pre-chorus and none of the words are the same. That's so I'd true. argue yeah. that it's, yeah, I would say it's just another verse. Just another verse. Okay, so what you might call verse two, uh, he says, cast in this unlikely role, ill-equipped to act with insufficient tact. One must put up barriers to keep one's self, oneself, one's self anyway mm-hmm. uh one's intact self. um so i i this is a good one too um the beginning he's just talking about he calls it an unlikely role because as i think you mentioned it's not something he would like seek out he mm-hmm. wouldn't consider you know being a rock star uh he just wanted to play drums or whatever even though yeah i mean it, it's kind of that just part of it um and it says he has insufficient tact, which comes through. Uh, I think w- before, like you said, when that guy was talking about, he kind of got brushed off when he was backstage trying to talk to Neil. Um, yeah. He, he just feels like he can't really respond in these situations. Like someone that like to someone he doesn't know who's, who's talking to him in this unreal way. Um, mm-hmm. And he like, doesn't know how to respond. He doesn't have the like speaking uh, conversational skills to yeah ha- to just be a part of that he it's and it is like a different skill set right being a skilled musician and being a skilled public figure are two different things absolutely and so his his tact he's not able to navigate these what to what to him and like is are these bizarre social situations which is clarified in the in the next verse but i i guess i'll just bring that up now where he says i can't pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend right yeah that's a big line too and it's the same idea yeah he he can't like even though i think he's mentioned it uh, and i was watching a bunch of videos um, Mm -hmm. he said like he like getty and and alex the other band members like i we're not on first name basis i should say their full names right yeah, yeah. I mean, Getty yeah. Lee and Alex Lifeson, <laughs> the other two band members, um, like could go out and do the meet and greets and like talk mm-hmm. to people and, and they do interviews and stuff and they do, but but he either didn't want to or wouldn't, um, because he just doesn't feel comfortable in those situations and that's mm-hmm. what he's talking about. He can't he can't be the the charismatic face. Yeah, Which, and it's interesting yeah. that when they talk about it, or at least in the like the one video I watch, it's not like uh, like like Neil Peart's the weird one, right, yeah. for not being able to do that, right. And I'm just like it's I'm I get it because it is a, like a societal norm that if you are famous you you do these things, but like it's also bananas, right? Like it's yeah. crazy that you're expected to be a friend with everyone who likes a thing that you do. Right. And it's I mean, I also remember and I don't remember. I think this was or I don't remember what it I also remember and I don't remember. 
that's a weird way of saying it. Um, <laughs> I think it was it, Bill Burr was talking. I don't remember what the context was. It might have been his podcast or whatever. Um, and he said when he was just starting out, he was at some club and he might have been talking to someone else famous. I don't remember the details. And everyone else at the end was going out and talking to like people uh, or people were talking backstage with people and he was kind of hanging off and someone was like, hey, why, why don't you go like mingle and make connections or whatever? And he kind of said like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not, it's not really me. I like, I'm kind of shy. And they were like, all right, well, you do that or you don't have a career. Like you have to do it or mm-hmm. or you're just always going to be here and like you have to make these connections you have to get over that but this is kind of him saying like in particular the next line of of that second verse where he says one must put up barriers to keep oneself intact uh for him it kind of feels like he's he's uh giving up part of who he or he would have to give up part of who he was uh, to pursue that mm-hmm. which would be uh, and yeah it's it's obviously a balance because there has to be you have to still meet people uh, because it's kind of an inherently social thing performing, right? <laughs> so it's definitely like opposing forces at play. Yeah. And he talks about um, putting up barriers. And I guess he does that by like not, not going to these meet and greets and like not really interacting with fans. Cause that's like, he needs to compartmentalize his life into being, Neil Peart, the performer, who simply goes up on stage and, you know, hits the drums. And then right. Neil Peart, the regular guy who, as soon as he's off that stage, it's he's he's not there for anybody else, but for whatever his purposes are, right? Yeah, which is maybe it's riding a motorcycle. I don't know. He wrote, wrote some books. <laughs> he reads a lot of he books. Re- yeah, that's that makes sense. Um, Yeah, so that's what he kind of covers in that, that, is how he is ill-equipped to deal with fame, which, yeah. Uh, then we get to the chorus, which is living in the limelight, the universal dream for those who wish to seem. Those who wish to be must put aside the alienation, get on with the fascination, the real relation, the underlying theme. So uh, a quick note about limelight is that is actually how they used to, uh, apparently in the 19th century, that's how they would actually light stages. So burning of what's called quick lime, and that would be your limelight, light given by lime. So yeah. it was very brief. And that's part of the like fifteen minutes of fame kind of thing. But right. That was the lighting technique. And there was they would make the the light brighter so you wouldn't need as many lights for like a spotlight mm-hmm. on a person. Pissing. 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 <laughs> and so it's if you if you listen to the, if you just listen to this like vocally, um, I feel like the some parts of the chorus can get lost because there is such a, a like a break between lines. Living in the limelight, the universal dream. And then for those who wish to seem kind of comes in after. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it kind of flips the meaning because the first two, I think, come together pretty closely. And then there's like a beat almost. And then you get for those who wish to seem. Right. And it can be hard to hear that M. In, in, yeah, those uh, M's in drop song. off. Like, I didn't realize the last word in the course was theme mm. until this week. So I had what most did you of, think it was? Uh, I thought he said dream again. Like, ah. Uh. I, I don't know fair. what an underlying dream is, but anyway, uh, I guess a dream that underlies something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, this, a lot of times this chorus gets, um, from what I've seen, and maybe it doesn't happen a lot, but I've seen people talk about it as if it's like prophetic, like, mm. 
oh, nowadays everyone wants to be famous and they talk about like reality TV and YouTube and this proliferation and like social media and stuff. But I don't know if I would agree with that in that I don't think anything really changed. There's just more avenues for it. Like there was still people still wanted their like 15 minutes, like the the phrase 15 minutes of fame always existed for such a long time. Like it doesn't really change anything. There's just, yeah, more ways to, to be that, to have that. So yeah, he's uh, essentially, I have to disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like essentially what I see this course doing is defining essentially two different types of people, right. which is those who wish to seem and those who wish to be. So those who wish to seem are simply those who want to uh, like be seen and appear to be living. They want to appear to be certain things. They want the illusion of life, as it were. Right. They don't really care if they're good at playing music or good at being an actor or whatever. They just want to be perceived as being that. Mm-hmm versus the the person who actually has a goal and and uh works hard to achieve that goal and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what people Yeah, they they them. wish to to be. They want to they they yeah. look and say I want to be able to like compose music. I want to be I want to take like breathtaking photos because like th- these are beautiful yeah. things and I want to yeah. experience that. Yeah, it's fulfilling for me. Um and then he said, those who wish to be must put aside the alienation. Get on with the fascination. Okay. I'm struggling a little bit with the alienation line. Oh, easy. So okay, the alienation is what he's talked about in the, the first two verses of this song. Right. It's he, his alienation as a famous person. Right. So those who wish to be, which is he is obviously in that category. He has to put aside this this strange alienation that he now has to deal with. Right. Get on with the fascination, fascination, which I can either be interpreted as what fascinates him, or what fascinated people to begin with, like what made him famous. Mm. And I think I would lean more towards the former than the latter. Get on with the fascination, the real relation, the underlying theme. So get on with what drives you what what brought you to this part of your journey anyway the what the real stuff this right because that was the thing that drew people to in the first place and look for it mentions real relations i guess look for real relationships among the the deluge of of just people who think they know you and want to Mm -hmm. don't abandon legitimate strong relationships because he talked about because in the the one video i watched he was like oh it's a big fan of the who i never dreamed of you know trying to like find their hotel room and like knock on their door it just just seems unreal to me so maybe when he talks about the real relation it's even in terms of what the role of his music to us the listeners is he's like i'm i'm conveying a message but it's different from having a conversation right so the real relation is I need to put out what fascinates me. And while, while it might reach like a community of like-minded people, the goal is not to bring them to me. Right. It's to bring that message outward, right? That's the real relation. There it is. It's the real relation. And the underlying theme. I can't honestly say what the underlying theme is but i think that might be a more personal thing like the theme of his life's work yeah i don't know 
I yeah, I don't I don't know about that one either. Um, it rhymes. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm not sure beyond that. I, I think in in maybe just the simplest sense, the underlying theme is not because the, again, the gilded cage is what you see first. The projection of fame mm-hmm. is on the surface. Right. And he's like, gotta crack through that surface, get back to the fascination, the real relation, what the 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 sort of ideas and themes that that have brought this fame upwards. The reason it was there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like those words you just said to me. Because in words. in and it's interesting because I think it is important to clarify that in searching for this fascination, the the goal is not to propel his fame but simply to keep hitting on what is evidently uh, strikes a note with other humans, I suppose. What, yeah. What, what rings true in some sense. Yeah, so he doesn't want to sell out. Mm-hmm, I guess, yeah, that's a simple <laughs> way of putting it. But, but, you know, with a little bit more. Um, all right. Excuse me. Verse two. Living in Which- a fisheye lens, caught in the camera eye, I have no heart to lie. And then we talked about the line before. I can't pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend. So I I think it just starts with more like imagery of he's literally caught. Well, it says living in a fisheye lens. Um, The fisheye lens distorts an image and and makes it seem unreal. As we talked about before. And uh, like literally being trapped within that sort of feeling. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, and being caught in the camera eye of having you know being watched by people constantly because of this fame so there's a a feeling of being trapped because he's constantly uh, yeah in yeah. this eye in this camera eye that also distorts who he is it changes it, it basically it it stretches the truth, if not flat out lies. Right, and so then that leads us into the "I have no heart to lie." Yeah, and he, but he can't go along with that because mm-hmm. it's not in his nature, and he can't. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's pretty much that verse. It's fairly mm-hmm. simple. We get into the uh, the the second pre-chorus, or you know, the fourth verse. All the world's indeed a stage, which is a reference to a line a monologue by Jayquees in uh, "As You Like It" by Shakespeare. And we are merely players, performers, and portrayers, each another's audience outside the gilded cage. Now we're outside the gilded cage. Well, before we were mm-hmm. beyond it. So, I think this is to say, perhaps, that he is in some ways also complicit in this system to an extent in that he he like obviously engages in other forms of media he clearly reads right. books and things but through that process he really is only seeing these people through their gilded cage right right because i mean even he was talking in that interview about how much he liked the who mhm and even though he wouldn't go talk to them he has an image of them in his mind so it has to exist yeah. And and in another sense, he says we're all merely players, performers, and portrayers, each another's audience. And so we all experience this sort of this this limelight, you know, distortion to some extent. Yeah, and there has to be some level of of performative nature, I think, in any interaction because mm-hmm. there, uh, do we talk about this recently? I feel like we've talked about this recently. It sounds like something we, yeah. we might have addressed. I don't remember now. Um, 
uh, of yeah, just there. There is necessarily a person between like your thoughts and getting them out. Mm-hmm. Does it hang on to your ego? I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> that like, sounds like it come up ego, there. You know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, got to reference previous episodes. That's right. That's, bring that's up the interest. Internal linking, baby. Oh yeah. Okay. So that's the that's the lyrics. Yeah. Essentially, the song is four minutes of "Sorry, I'm not going to come meet and greet after the show." Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, and it kind of, I don't know, like it, it. I don't want to say it repeats itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it kind of states its thesis in like a couple different ways mm, and they yeah. rhyme and like you were saying the um the chorus is kind of broken into parts of like those who wish to seem and those who wish to be but the way it's sung it's almost difficult to notice that because it's made a little bit more musical yeah that's kind of getty lee's role i think and yeah and just like Turning the way into, he yeah. he sings getty lee it's he puts emphasis on kind of odd words. Must boot aside, and you're like, "Well, now I'm focused on put." And then the rest of the sentence goes by, and you're like, "Wait, what the fuck?" And yeah, it's an interesting way to sing it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Let's talk instrumentals because this starts out, and in some sense, I think this song is pretty classic Rush in that it is just like almost just like clean hard rock it's it opens up with a very iconic guitar riff absolutely there was a video of alex lifeson talking about how to play it and it's actually like the very beginning of the you just like outline Mm -hmm. an a major seventh chord starting Mm. on an e it's like e d d d d and then you play just like b power chord and then a power chord like it's with like a note in between so that part at least is relatively simple it gets more complicated after that but that and that that riff is like i'd say pretty iconic seriously as far as like good uh, rock and roll riffs go like it's very identifiable as from Mm -hmm. this song and like you said it's simple but it has like a like a punctuation to it almost with that (laughs) dan dan and it that yeah. uh, I think is in other ways is done in the song as well with the with the drums in particular they'll do that dun, dun, like there's good punctuation yeah, kind of punctuates song. yeah the, and the other thing about that at least what I've found just like playing casually is it is mm-hmm. often difficult to know when not to play probably mm-hmm. more so of like if I don't play anything here is that better than playing something so it's it's you know a simple thing and I'm sure professionals have got it but like. It's not easy. Yeah. And it's particularly with Rush, like the every every instrument is playing in this and they're yeah. it's busy without being muddled. Yeah, which is impressive cuz they're all doing quite a bit. Plus there's mm-hmm. like synthesizer a little bit. Yeah. It's uh that synthesizer comes in uh, sort of with the with the instruments, right? When after the initial guitar riff. Yeah, and it kind of plays sporadically. I don't think it plays yeah. the whole time. And so, it's just kind of like little sustains. Yes, exactly. And um so so yeah, it comes in with this this guitar riff, uh brings it into the song and then the drums kind of go like and then the drums start playing. And then you get the singing and like there's some bass. Mhm. And the bass, for the most part, mirrors the guitar in the uh, in the verses. Okay. 
say they're very similar. It's mm-hmm. they're, they're like if I actually went and analyzed it note by note, there's probably some differences, but they both work from the same kind of core progression. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, I have to imagine for although Getty Lee got pretty good at it, it's got to be tough to like play a good solid rhythm and sing at the same time and then also play synthesizers so mm-hmm. did you I'm actually impressed. see the the music video for this um i watched it a couple days ago so and if, if i'm taking that to be an actual recording he seems to do the the vocal recording separately from the the bass yeah i guess in the studio it would be different but uh, they play mm-hmm. they played it for decades on stage so there is yeah there was actually very few uh tours where they didn't play limelight I'm not surprised that they would like all be from before it came out. <laughs> mm-hmm. It says here, um, let me see, recording and live performance. The song was a staple of Rush's live performances, having been played on every tour since its release, except the Grace Under Pressure tour in 1984, the Presto tour in 1990, and the R40 live tour in 2015. I can't believe they didn't play it for R40. I think the reason was for R40, they probably wanted to do some more obscure stuff. Yeah, probably because it was a celebration of the the band. Yeah, but that's interesting. I can't believe they it is bizarre that they. they I can't. I, I'm out. still surprised they didn't play it like three times, but they did mm. tour a lot. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's see what else is going on here. Um, I've I've lost my spot in my notes. Okay, it's uh, it's um, let me see here. So the bass sort of mirrors the guitar. Um, right. It switches to a more when they get to the chorus. I think it's a more clean guitar. The uh, the mm-hmm. initial opening guitar has a more distortion on it. Yeah, but and then it's it's kind of got like I, I think he plays it all in one guitar. But there's kind of like layers because there's kind of parts where he's like strumming more, and there's parts where he's doing like fairly complex pattern mm-hmm. on the guitar. It's um like I'm trying to think of curious. I don't know what the quality is but the way like Alex Lifeson will play the guitar in this sort of thing where it's kind of not, some sort of sitting in the background but it's there I'm like I don't even know I don't even know how to describe it like it's yeah, it's like a like a very good rhythm guitar yeah, it's like a very like intricate a rhythm guitar texture thing going on there that now interestingly in in Wikipedia, it says that specifically that his guitar solo was performed on a modified Fender Stratocaster mm-hmm. equipped with a Floyd Rose vibrato arm, which he called a Hentor spa- sportscaster. I don't know why, but that seems to imply that he used a different guitar for the solo than he used for the rest of the guitar playing. Yeah, that's possible. I don't know if he'd do it live. I know he played a Les Paul a lot. Mm. Um, live, anyway. But uh, they have a lot of instruments. Um, the other thing, I know you mentioned it, but uh, at the end of the verses, like on the last mm-hmm. line, on the beyond the and to keep one, there's like, there's that punctuation of like the drums do the like, bah, bah, as he says the mm-hmm. line. And the way he says it is very rhythmic. It's beyond the and it just like hits at the same time. So, yeah. That's, it's, it, uh, it happens on all the verses. Yeah, and it's very good at that. I think that's part of why this song is so well received is it just has these good little punches throughout the song and mm-hmm. it just like the amount of notes sometimes that Neil Peart can fit 
into just like a second without it sounding gross is kind of crazy. Yeah, and even like most, if not all, of the versions we're going to talk about, like don't do the drums the same. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're very clearly attempting to make it as close as possible, but like they put the drums in halftime or something. Like, yeah, it's they they find a way to to make it more palatable to somebody who doesn't have a an entire fucking fortress of drums. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> that makes it tricky. Yeah, the drum fortress. Um, the other thing about this song is, even though it's like distinctly stylistically Rush compared to mm-hmm. some of their early stuff, like. I mean, 2112 was obviously very long. This is, like, very much, like, a more poppy approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, or more accessible, anyway, if if not poppy. Um, just because it is... I mean, it's still 420, but that's not, like, the longest song. And, and it's a little more accessible in terms of, like, verse chorus. I don't know if that... I'd say that compared to all their early stuff, but... It's definitely it's it's pretty straightforward. That, you You're right. That it does already. have a, a more popular structure to it. Yeah, you than, said that. Yeah, that maybe works like twenty one twelve or something like Xanadu or Xanadu. you know, the, the, like the, Rush has a lot of seven minute songs. Yeah, in, and I guess this higher. album has one too. Ten yeah, minutes, what is that on this 11 one? Eleven minutes. The camera eye. Oh yeah, oh, and Red Barchetta's six minutes and ten mm-hmm. seconds. Um, the worst song about cars ever made. <laughs> um, One time I drove my, my uncle's car out and these guys like, you want a street race? And I said, no, thank you. And went home. <laughs> Classic. Classic. That's what that is. All right. What else happens in this song? Um, so the big notes are uh, in the second half of the chorus, we get more of a, a sort of simple driving rhythm and he kind of punches up his vocals for the those who want to be that's right the guitar changes a bit too mm-hmm. um i believe this is in the chorus oh this is a pre-chorus so yeah the uh the chorus kind of serves as like the oh, collapse and build in terms of yeah like, structuring it because we get the it kind of breaks to the clean guitar and it, it like things are a little quieter Living in the limelight, we get that yeah, isolation. It almost doesn't feel to- like almost that first part is almost a pre-chorus, but it's mm-hmm. not because they're like so connected. Yeah, or I don't think it is. No, I would agree. They yeah. are. It's the they're two like you can't pull them apart into two separate segments. Yeah, really. but energetically, there is mm-hmm. a fair change, and it doesn't feel like a chorus at first. Yeah. Um, and then, so that's kind of the verse chorus structure, and there is a solo that comes in later in the song. I don't have a timestamp for it, but it is apparently one of Alex Lifeson's favorite guitar solos. And in 2007, he was quoted as saying, It's funny, after all these years, the solo to Limelight is my favorite to play live. There's something very sad and lonely about it. It exists in its own little world. And I think, in its own way, it reflects the nature of the song's lyrics, feeling isolated amidst chaos and adulation. Yeah, it's definitely interesting how it's done, because, like, it really slows down. You kind of get those cymbal hits, and and then it goes, boom, boom, like, it's a slower tempo as you get into the solo. It's not like this triumphant guitar solo, you know, like, mm-hmm. virtuoso guitar solo. Um, it probably is virtu- virtuosic or whatever the word is. But yeah. it's not like he suddenly starts shredding. He he just kind of slows it down and like has it starts with some longer sustained notes. 
Yeah, it's, it's not cool. just like a like a look at how fast I can hit things. It's a very carefully selected, you know, set of notes. And it's interesting, even in that quote, you kind of get the idea <laughs> of of sort of the the inner workings of the band where mm-hmm. Lifeson actually built a guitar solo to reflect the nature of the song's lyrics. So music, the music written in these songs is generally Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson, whereas Neil Peart was the lyrics. That was sort of the relationship. Right. And it, in that quote, I you can kind of see how the two cross over. Yeah, and they definitely, like, as a collaborative force, I mean, they were doing this for, for decades and they always worked well together. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. And And... I mean, compared to a lot of groups that have, like, lots of inner conflict and stuff, they always seem to, like, do well together. <laughs> and be like, yeah, I, this is the thing I like to do, so that's what I do. And then he does the thing he likes to do, and sometimes, you know, we do it together. And, like, <laughs> yeah, they all kind of have their own role, and it's cool. Yeah, it is very cool. Um, and then we get the kind of, after the solo, we get around 349, we get Getty Lee punching up the vocals a bit, going hard. Yeah, absolutely. Right near the end. And then uh I hang, sorry, uh the solo. I mm-hmm. just want to talk a little bit more about the solo. Sorry. Please. Uh I'll bring us back into the solo because as you mentioned there was like this chaos around and there's parts of the solo like that are identifiable as a guitar solo, but if you listen to like what else is happening, they really are like still doing a lot of stuff like considering that it's theoretically a solo. It's like an instrumental section, almost more like. Yeah, because the focus every is on the guitar. Is still yeah. going. Yeah, it's not like bass stopped, or or toned it down a lot. Like there's still a lot of bass mm-hmm. happening. Or the drums. There's still yeah, like exactly. a couple of rolls that uh, Neil fits in there. Yeah, exactly. So like, there's definitely stuff happening, and 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 that quote is for sure um, accurate. Mm-hmm. That the the guitar solo, which is it does have play with these sort of long, sorrowful sustains and some obviously a lot of vibrato from the uh, the whammy bar he's equipped. Mm-hmm. That it can still cut through the mix while things are really not mixed too quietly is yeah, yeah, it's very cool. Which kind of um, I mean, as part of the song was like you you have to stick with what you're doing. He don't like. He says he doesn't want to go for the fame. He just got to stick with what he loves to do, and like that will be the thing that brings him forward. That's the guitar is kind of still just like doing its thing among that, and it's succeeding. Right, because so, it's not caving it, into the more chaotic together, play. Man. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. All right. So, and then the end of the song is cool because it's just like a, a lot of just a big rock ending. Yeah, with uh, you get the synth doing some sustains, then just yeah, big lots drum of rolls. drum drums rolling, and then the bam 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 bam. Yeah, good hits at the end. Good shit, man. Yeah, good shit. Yeah, it's good. It's uh, not a fade out song. It's it's one of those big finishes with yeah. a final note. It knows how to end, and I respect that. Yeah. Speaking of knowing when to end, I think that's all we have to say about the original version. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to enter the, uh, the the cover zone. I'm going to work on a better name for that. <laughs> Driving into but, the cover zone. And where our first stop on, on in the cover zone is Kip Winger. Kip Winger. 
I'm not going to. There's like. There's so many. <laughs> Kip Winger, Andreas Kisser, Vinny Moore, Stu Ham, Mike Magini, uh, uh, Robert Barry. Man, yeah, there's another N in there. Um, Jeff mm. Feldman, Trent Gardner. That's all the names I have. And they're yeah, all. I, they're variously famous and successful metal and prog rock musicians, most of which I've never heard of before. But okay, they've been involved sense. in things like Kip Winger was um, part of Constrictor and Raise Your Fist and Yell. That's right. Alice he played Cooper. bass and provided um, backing vocals. Yeah. So, like, other... There's one guy who's, like, the drummer in Dream Theater. Dream Theater? Yeah. Like, right now, but not originally. Okay. He's the current drummer of Dream Theater and other stuff. They've all been part of, yeah, prog bands, metal bands, rock bands. Trent Gardner died in 2016. Mm. Anyway, yeah. So they all tune in next week for our Trent Gardner memorial episode. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what we got. That's what we're working with here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You covered that. So this is like a more mm. uh, like a slightly more metal version, and really just in the intro. Yeah, the intro like has this like synth, and then like the drums are doing their double kick thing. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it goes into like a second section where it's really like a brown and noun and ran and noun like now. Like yeah, so and big and like crash symbols and shit. Bit, yeah. For the second intro section, I have dubbed it. Mm-hmm. And then uh Is there a third and intro? Both section? of those sections return later in the song. Yeah. So it has this like whole intro. Um, with various kind of metal stuff going on, and then just, like, starts playing Limelight. Yeah. Like, this intro section could... If you had put this in a Battletoads game, I wouldn't blink. This is, yeah, this is Battletoads music. Yeah. And then drums. Yeah, so the first, like, 54 seconds of this is... Or, like, 50 seconds is this new intro. And then from there, it moves into basically just being Limelight. Yeah, absolutely. The drums aren't hitting as many things because mm-hmm. ha- I mean, I don't know. I I would think if anyone could it would be an experienced prog rock drummer, but what are you going to say? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's uh yeah. He wasn't in Dream Theater at the time, so I don't know. Exactly. Maybe he was still learning at this point, 2005. Uh, the other thing is this version is over six minutes, so they add quite a bit yeah. uh, of time. Um, they add a guitar solo after the first chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, it is similar to the original solo in the original song, but I think there's much more focus on just the guitar as opposed to the original, which had more stuff happening with the bass and drums yeah and like we've said having those other things there kind of enhance the solo thematically i agree Mm -hmm. um there's a bit of an odd moment after because at the end of the solo there's like like a wall metaphorically and then it just Mm -hmm. everything stops cuts out completely and then they do another like riff like limelight riff, like it which is a little awkward. Yeah, it is a bit. I found. Um. It. Yeah, and it's uh, it's just it's awkward 
I, I going through these, a big thing that every cover artist seems to struggle with is breaking out of the mold of the original. And I think yeah. part of that is because of like the what we talked about with the punctuation of of the instruments, all these hard stops and things in the original. Yeah, it's it's tough to not have those in there. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's tough is, I don't know, like Rush, their approach to writing songs, like creating music, doesn't seem to be like a lot of other uh, groups. Uh, you know. I mean, it is, obviously, because it's still, like, Western music. But, like, mm-hmm. we'll talk about a song and be like, and then, like, he switches to the G chord and he goes does that for a while and, like, strums in the G chord. But a lot of the times what's actually happening is not – doesn't matter that much. And mm-hmm. I think in terms – in the, like, kind of folk music strain where it's not about um, being a super – like, a virtuoso at your instrument, you're like – this is the the chord that I play with this because this is what I sing, right? It mm-hmm. is less prescribed, whereas this almost feels more composed compared to that. Yeah. Like these are the notes we play, and like if you want to play this song, you play these notes because that's the song. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot stricter, and I know that's how Rush approached performing the music as well, as they were trying to recreate uh, the recording it very much um, mm. with some room for um improvisation of course in some places but that was still very prescribed like there were moments for improvisation it was right you fill this amount of space and it mattered like very precisely what happened when there's a lot of timing um Mm -hmm. so it's it's tough to change that because everything is a part of what makes this song this song right it's so like like thoughtfully constructed from beat to beat (laughs) yeah it's like if Every member of a symphony wrote the part, and but there's only three, so it's not actually really like that, but a little bit. But also, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a showpiece. Um, probably any Rush song, like you would, you want to show you're good enough to play it, and the mm-hmm. band wants to show we're good enough to be like Rush because Rush is considered so talented at playing their instruments. Oh yeah. And, like, every drummer or bassist I feel like I ever met in Calgary was always like, bro, I can play this Rush song. And that was, like, even guitarist, any dude in Calgary who has an instrument and plays music is always using Rush as a benchmark of, of technical precision. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's, I assume, why it's so difficult to, to make these changes, whereas in other... Um, in with a lot of other songs, you could put a totally different riff in and it wouldn't matter that much, you know, if you stick mm-hmm. with the, if you stick with the, uh, the key signature or whatever, or the, yeah. the chord changes or even not like, but I don't know. It, it feels different with a rush song. It's like, what do you even change? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all, uh, it's all a part of it. It is kind of like covering classical music. It's, you can yeah. really only change what the instruments are. Yeah. Or else it does, it's a different song. Mm-hmm. So, like, other notes on this one. Uh, the bass I found to be mixed a lot more quietly. Yeah, this is kind of, I don't know if I ca- call it more traditional. Obviously, like you mentioned, Rush is three, and they're all there. So when they do their mixing, mm-hmm. everything kind of has to be have its own place, whereas this is maybe a little less important because they probably ha- they have more people involved. Yeah. And it's, it's from a, a more traditional rock and roll or metal perspective which is different from 
like a power trio situation yeah, yeah. or not always that um they have a second guitar solo uh the first two mm-hmm. notes s- start to sound like zelda's lullaby i wish i put the time okay. down. it just is like Ba-dip! and then it does other things <laughs> yeah around the uh around the 320 mark a little bit before it you start to get this shredding guitar that slowly starts getting louder in the mix. Starts at 317. Yes. When they're doing that chorus, and then suddenly it's like... <laughs> I didn't notice the fade-in, though. Good catch. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it just like starts just getting, that, getting the shred on. Yeah, and so then that screams to a fade out that then leads back into that sort of hard rock intro with the the crash and the so boom no 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 yes they go back to their added section and then do mm-hmm. another not really solo but it's the same spot as the solo in the original and they just kind of do like it's kind of that heavy metal chugging of like yeah so they're just like essentially taking that intro and then playing it with triplets so, it's a little less engaging, I would say. Mm-hmm. I would say I like the, the, the instrumental parts they've added. I thought that was a, a smart move to, to bring it more into your field and be like, this is us. But right. the problem is, is it doesn't play throughout the, the real body of the song. Yes, it feels separate. And like we were saying, it's hard to change it. And what they ended up doing was adding on to it. They didn't really mm-hmm. change anything. They just sandwiched things in between the sections. Yeah. Which So I think works to the a solution degree. to this. Yeah, it works to a degree, but maybe if they had found a way to better like insert those instrumental sections throughout the song. Mm-hmm. Cuz then you still get the the kind of like the verse and chorus are this, but then you get it it sort of slides into these these more metal soundscapes. It would be nice if it was a little bit more integrated. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably my biggest complaint about this besides the length. It's too fucking long. That's true. And like they they do throw in like a couple more solos. This is where the solo is, by the way, at like four twelve, the Zelda's lullaby. Yeah. Uh, um and then, yeah. <laughs> You're right, that yeah. is. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and then you get some, uh, like, shredding and stuff. Yeah, and it's they're good solos. Like, it's, it's some good playing. Yeah, it's but obviously it talented to... musicians. Uh, mm-hmm. They've all been various amounts of active for, like, a number of years at this point. Yeah. But, like, even when they did the fade-in shredding guitar, like, that shows that you can kind of have these elements going while the the vocals are going as well. And, yeah, if we could just see more integration between the instrumental segments and the, the core verses and chorus. Right, yeah, there was... That was kind of... The, the sections all feel, like, very discreet. Um, mm-hmm. Almost jarringly. Like, if you even go right to the end, they kind of do the ending part. They play the, like, and then right at, like, 544, it just, like, cuts out completely. And, like, there's a synth part. Like, it's... Yeah, that synth from the intro comes in again, and we get the this drums rolling out. But you're right. It is, like, two separate parts. It's, like, switching tracks. Yeah. So, and I already mentioned, um, like, right after that, early the first solo the transition into the 
next section or the transition into that riff felt very much like very very discreet so that's probably mm-hmm. my biggest criticism of, of this version is it it doesn't yeah. have the flow man yeah it just needs to be tighter yeah um with that we're gonna talk about rockabye baby I- in 2013 talk about it very much yeah buddy okay we're going in depth all right so this is a los angeles music label that makes rock for babies it's allegedly award-winning according to their own description they don't say what awards they probably gave and themselves the the real reason we're talking about this is because it's uh it sounds to me to be a bit different from the uh from when we brought ruby on for this charming man way (laughs) back in like october of last year yeah maybe november yeah she didn't like the the lullaby version yeah, and that's because she uh, she identified it as this sort of low budget situation where they find the like MIDI files and then just change like the instrument like voice on yeah. it and then re-upload it. Make it like a glockenspiel and a toy piano and a harp. Yeah, and call it a day. Now I don't think that's exactly what's going on here. Okay. Um, just because it it comes with this weird like percussion and bubble popping noises that come in interesting you get these like pop, pop. there's definitely a lot of like sounds and like i said it's like kind of like the music box plinky sound but also like a glockenspiel mm-hmm. sort of um wood block type doom doom but that might be metallic as well it's all very metallic but like soft metallic yeah. like pipes and chimes and um there's also like a, I don't know exactly what it is. It's almost like a, like a mellotron sound, but less aggressive. Mm. <laughs> like do 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 do. I guess more like a wood wood like flute. Would it, it would be? Yeah, um, and you get like yeah. there's some some strings that uh there's like a violin like note that comes in occasionally. And yeah, it's a so it's just like a a very. Like obviously much simpler arrangement, but you know it's got it's not quite the the just swap in and out method. So that's kind of why we're highlighting it. Okay. I don't think it's spectacular by any means. I don't. I don't even like it. Right. Uh, I get that the idea for this is to keep ba- like parents sane while babies sleep. Yeah. Listen to a, a melody they like. Uh, I like the album artwork. It kind of looks like a. A Rush and early Kanye West mashup because it's it's a oh, yeah. it's a teddy bear with a diaper on standing in front of a like pentagram a la the star man, uh, which yeah. is one of Rush's kind of symbols. Um, but yeah, because it's a teddy bear, it it looks yeah Kanye Westy. Yeah, buddy. So that's neat. Um, but it is not can that. You imagine it is not that. It is not that. It's surely there are Kanye West and Rush mashups, right? Why wouldn't there be? Let's hang on. We we got our guy looking it up right now. See, I put the verses in because usually that's what they do. Hall mm. versus Snow, the slow rush, Kanye West and Little Pump, cross Usher, Usher cross Chocolate. No, uh, search for beats. Uh, I don't see anything right now. But all right, well, it probably I'm sure it exists somewhere. But my my cursory Google search has not turned up anything yet. But I also didn't search the word mashup, so you know that's on me. Um, 
yeah, so this version, I, I didn't listen to it a whole lot. Um, but yeah, it's very like soft metallic and strings. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a solo in here at some point, which seems weird for a lullaby. It's closer to the end. There's like a slide. There's like a woo slide whistle. Yeah, yeah. It's like two. If you go to like two twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right before that is the slide whistle. <laughs> yeah. And I just can you imagine like growing up and then you hear the actual version of this on the radio and you're like, what? The, what this song's for babies. And you just fall asleep immediately in the car. <laughs> 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 Uh, I don't know, man. I just got tired all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, so... um, I don't know if I could recommend it exactly, but it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is out there if you're the kind of person who needs that. Yeah, if you want like a, a gentle, instrumental... Hey, that's not fun. Uh, version. Check, check now, if out. you're looking to sh- stretch the boundaries of what you can do with one acoustic guitar and one voice, then boy, do we have a cover for you. We sure Winston do. Winston Cade. Winston Cade. 2014. Yeah, so this Winston Cade is like kind of like a middle-aged guy. And he, he plays the guitar, and he sings, and he makes YouTube videos um, in front of a yeah, green screen. Yeah, Winston guitar. Yeah, and he, like, he just kind of puts himself in different locations for all his videos. It's neat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I assume he's just in his living room or his green screen. Yeah, it's whatever. just whatever his, uh, like his studio yeah. is. Uh, so I don't know exactly what all of the different locations mean, but uh, they seem to be related to the songs. Uh, yeah, so for uh for this one he's on like a, a city street, but it's a long exposure shot, so the car's going by, the the lights have been stretched out. Right. So yeah, that's kinda neat. Uh that well that's his thing anyway. Uh, I I'm actually kinda neutral to the concept. Um Yeah. His uh he descri- his YouTube description says stretching the boundaries of what you can do with one acoustic guitar and one voice. A performer can produce all the energy of a full band by knowing how to mix a single guitar and a single voice. On this channel, I perform hundreds of songs from every era of modern music and see what I can do within the constraints of one guitar and one voice. Yeah, uh, interesting goal, honestly. And it's an interesting version because it is solo. It's solo acoustic version. Um, mm-hmm. And he... His like arrangements on the guitar or his arrangement on the guitar is actually pretty interesting because there's a lot of stuff happening on that guitar. Mm-hmm. Like he does the riff, but like there's a lot of the like di- I don't know. There's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, so primarily he's got an echo on there, right, which helps to fill the space and makes it like seem like he's doing a little more than he is. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, like I actually listened to his uh, one of his more recent versions of he did American Girl by Tom Petty and it seems like echo is kind of like his big his big trick to fill space to fill space cuz he put echoes on his vocals in that one the echoes on the guitar in this one um it sounds it's kind of a lower quality recording um mm-hmm. sound to it it definitely has like a lo-fi sound almost like punky the way he sings almost cuz he's kind of like shouty uh, when he sings and the way he enunciates things, where he kind of like 
doesn't. Yeah. Uh, wait. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example, a good line. But yeah, the way he says things. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about that silence. I won't. <laughs> yeah, I, I said he's a bad singer, but he could be like a great acoustic punk rocker. Yes, I agree. And I, I don't know. Hopefully he does that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I don't, um, maybe between 40 and 41 seconds on this is sort of a weird audio chop. Yes. It sounds like it cuts to a different. Yeah, like, it, different like version, it moves yeah. to a different recording that he then, you know, stitched together in a program. Yeah, but like he was kind of singing into different parts of the microphone. So it kind of changes the balance between left and right. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely like amateur quality. And he's not in For the sure. studio, and he's got probably not the best equipment. I don't know what else. But yeah, I think I think some of that kind of plays to his favor. I think if this For wasn't sure. as lo-fi, I wouldn't like it. I agree, as much. and I do kind of like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think he does a pretty decent job of playing. Um, and even like he seems to sing it okay. Uh, he's kind of yeah, like does he, like more like shouty stuff later on. I hope he's not damaging his voice. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. I don't know. Uh, it's back in 2014. He did this one. He's still making them now. Like he he put out three videos yeah. last week, so and okay. I think he's still doing okay. All right. yeah. Um, let's see. Goof. Nope, that's a typo. Uh, he also has a little solo. Starts around like the two and a half minute mark, and uh, it's. He's not copying the solo from the original, which is probably good, and I think it like fits into the context of his own playing style. Yeah. Yeah. Which is I agree. definitely different from Oh. Like, you know, Rush. Um So I think yeah, he does fine, but I agree if it was like a pro quality thing, it I, I might dismiss it. Hmm. Yeah, I'd be interested to see him maybe come back to this or something and see if he if he takes it in a different angle. Yeah, I'm interested to see if there are versions that really do take it in a really different direction because even we're not really going to talk about any today. No, yeah, it's sure. we we moved from this one into the rest of these covers are in 2017 and they're all pretty safe. They're all very safe covers. Yeah. Uh. So the next one is by a group called Boundary Exception. Which, uh... Please, they're not a group. They're a project. Oh, I apologize. They're an Italian prog rock project. Uh... (laughs) And yeah, is project just the sorry? Is project the term you use when you don't have confidence in what you're doing enough to be like, yeah, this is our band? I I don't know because I feel like I've always thought that band has this like sense of like like fellowship, you know, mm. like fraternity of like being on the road versus like I'm a working musician and I work in several different projects and you know we're probably friends and we work together, right. but it's. It it has a different, slightly different connotation. Okay, yeah, um, I can buy that. that but I don't know if that's what if that's what other people would say. But I definitely like if you're in one band, you call it a band. But if you're in several bands, you might call them all projects. Or say like I have a project in like one genre and another genre, like 
Right. Like Could that's you also my say I work with EDM a few different genre. bands. Yeah. You could say both of those. Or and, I work in a few different and bands. And sometimes, you know, it's just you say a word to make it sound a particular way. Like like you say project because you want to seem like you're in the industry or whatever. I'm like, yeah, no, right, yeah, it might sound project. a little more professional. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's about living in the limelight, really. Uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. about meeting people's the expectations. Yeah. So, yeah, tell me more about Boundary Exception. Uh, there's not a whole lot. They uh, support the hashtag climate change cause. <laughs> and oh, yeah, um, they are female fronted. Mm, yeah, that's uh, Michaela Speranzi. Uh, I'm hoping to pronounce either of those right. Is the vocalist. So, yeah, this one is like just about the same length as the original. It really is very similar. Mm-hmm. Comes in with the same intro. Um, yeah. Play some drums. Start singing. But it's yeah, a female. This voice. one, notably, the drums are a lot less active, I think, than yeah, the for original. Yeah, sure, for sure. Uh, the, she's, uh, you can hear her sort of Italian accent in her singing. It's between this and last week where we had Patty LaMusico on. I feel like I'm getting an ear for that. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely very distinct. And, um, there's like the one thing I noticed they add is right at the end of the chorus, they have this kind of like, higher guitar strumming or or mandolin type sound okay it is a guitar <laughs> if you go to like 120 yeah. it's just the way they yeah, play it's a little it. bit a little bit more like sounds like a guy strumming a high high on the guitar but i did notice a little yeah. cowbell after that Ooh, cowbell yeah oh i see i see that like between like after the chorus yeah so like yeah. 125 yeah. it comes in um so, like, the instrumentation's a bit different, but it's it's very similar, and they're trying to recreate it pretty yeah. closely. So in, in terms of the drums, it reminds me of when you're playing rock band and you're, like, on a difficulty that's too high for you. Right. And the, the game's tip is, like, focus on the red ones in the foot pedal. And that's what this kind of reminds me of. It's, like, get the ones you can do and then kind of try and build from there. Throw some more stuff in there if you, if you have time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, in terms of the vocals, I, I didn't think... I feel like they're lacking a certain energy. Um, yeah, they lack any sort of punch to them, and I wonder if that is a difference of just not really knowing what the lyrics mean, or if that's a difference in how Italians sort of, like, punch things, you know, or how they, right. like, and that, emphasize things. Yeah, I would be curious. The other weird thing about the vocals is... Like in the original, we talked about it. They got the like drum hits at the same time. The dun 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 dun. dun. Mm-hmm. She doesn't always do that. I don't know if she ever does that. But like, there are definitely yeah. times where she, the way she says it is not following that rhythm. And I I don't know why you would do that. Like, yeah. because I'm like, if she learned it phonetically, she would follow it exactly. So that means that she does know the language. Right. right. So does that mean she doesn't know it that well and therefore is doing the the um stresses weird? I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um and then the other thing is is like I mentioned, Getty Lee does have some weird stresses himself. That is true. 
That and is And so true. it's 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 not like he's a good guide to really what the what the hard hitting lines are necessarily. Fair enough. But yeah, it lacks a bit, except right when she's the all the words the stage line, like on the word mm-hmm. stage, suddenly like jumps up in intensity, like very quickly. Yeah. Right, yeah, what is it? Like one fifty seven. And like just all oh, the worlds indeed is stage. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. And that's that is based on. Uh, I think Kenny Lee does that. Something similar to that, doesn't he? He does something similar to that. That is definitely true. But yeah, hers is pretty abrupt. Yeah, it's very abrupt and starts from lower. I think. Mm-hmm. And then his kind of builds a bit too. All the worlds indeed a stage. We are merely players. Yeah, where is this? But yeah, it just it's really? uh. Oh, overall, it's a uh, pretty safe. There's a there's an organ in this at some point, I think. I, yeah, in I fact, if notice. you listen around two eighteen, it is there. Is it filling the role of the synthesizer? Um, kind of. I think it does a little more though, and that it's just more consistently in there. It's pretty low though. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. So this one is. Again, yeah, like I'll probably say this about all the next ones, like a bit different, but not like different enough to be interesting. Yeah, and, and it's just like no, you got a guitar solo in here; it's well perfectly done. passable. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know, man. With that, sorry, Italy. Let's move. Let, let's wade into our next cover <laughs> by 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 Wade Bayum Wade. in 2017. <laughs> Bainham. Bainham? Bainham. I missed the end there. You're right. Bainham. So Wade Bainham is a, like, Christian performer? Yes, from North Carolina, Um, Durham. He has another album called God With Us, a celebration of Advent. That's his most recent album. That is his most Um, recent. In which he's talking about celebrating Advent, I think, over Christmas, or I don't know. Yeah, and he, like, on his Bandcamp page, he's like, you know, it's harder to remember the reason for the season. Who is Christ? Who is Lord? Oh, the reason for the season. And he goes, oh, every, every Christmas, I think to myself, what's the best thing about Christmas? Just trying to sell a Christmas album so I can eat. <laughs> $5 on uh, Bandcamp. $5 on Bandcamp, people, and you can listen to Oh Christmas Tree, Hark the Herald Angel Sings, Coventry Carol, according to Joe, a... W- According to Joe, yeah. what the fuck kind of Christmas song that's, is that? Uh, that's a sitcom, I believe. <laughs> Away in a Manger, Cherry Tree Carol, the first Noel medley, and In the Bleak Midwinter and Mary's Boy Child. Mary's Boy Child. Anyway. So this dude is a higher production version of Winston K. Yeah, very similar. Uh, it's an acoustic solo version, but he's kind of got he's got more production, uh, he, less echo, mm-hmm. and less like grit to his voice. Yeah, this is a sweet Christian voice. Yeah, it's it. very like pretty, I guess you'd say the yeah. the way it's done because yeah, it's, it's like, like very it's very soft. Um, yeah, it's a little bit more restraint in it shown versus Winston K, which is one mm-hmm. of the other reasons that one is kind of punky. Is like it's a bit fast. 
I think. Mm-hmm. I don't maybe not fast, but it it's less like this this has like some restraint. Like he's playing in his own time. But in like his own time, yeah. Slower. And he's got a little um, a little shaker percussion at some points here. Yeah, it adds some stuff. He's got that. He's got some like synth or like strings or synth string pads or whatever. Yeah, synth string pads in the back. Yeah. So but yeah, very similar idea. Uh it's tambourine as well. Yeah, and he is I think double tracked on vocals for most of the performance here. Um I think most songs at, are at like the that. very least, yeah. On all the worlds of stage, it's pretty noticeable. Um, what he does at 249 is decides to have almost a, a minute-long segment wherein he just does some mm-hmm-hmms and some whoa-whoa-whoas. Yeah, his, like, vocalizing section where they, like, bust, like, like crank up the strings. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, whoa. And then eventually he starts echoing those woes as he does other woes, and it's like... <sighs> Fucking Christ! Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Um, it's very much the, yeah. It's the, like, it's very soft and like. I I don't know. It's uh. There's also some parts where he he like goes into falsetto, but it's like very, like it's a gentle falsetto, and it mm-hmm. it, you it know, kind of it it like I said it it lacks that grit, and it's it's just kind of like a so- very soft. Yeah. Um if you delivery and and doesn't really have doesn't really hit very hard. Yeah, it doesn't really hit. And here my thing with that vocalization sec- section is it sounds like exactly what somebody would do in like a comedy if they had to they had to do some kind of like drama presentation or something. They're like, "Well, I got to present the idea that there is pain in this song." So let's just do a minute of being like like it's like when Jonah Hill does spoken word poetry, and I think, I think in the second Jump Street movie, Twenty Two Jump Street, Whoa. it's just like Whoa. it's it comes off as insincere to me. Right? Yeah, I I think that's the problem with a lot of Christian music is it comes off as insincere, and I don't, I'm not like judging them for not loving God enough or anything like that. I just <laughs> it feels it 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 rings untrue. Yeah, I don't know why. Because they're fucking liars, bro. That the goddamn lot of them. Yeah, could be. Because they're commercializing uh, religion. That's right. Maybe. Anyway. Maybe. Um, not that successfully though. No. That's another little little weird thing is all these not famous people sing a song about how hard it is to be yes, famous. Yes, that was <laughs> one thing I thought of mostly with Winston K because he's not particularly successful. This guy might be a bit more. Um. The very last thing that happens yeah. in this song is during the outro. Mm-hmm. There's like this really like broken up, like strained kind of lo-fi synthesizer, like yeah. after four minutes, which is kind of an interesting sound. Like it's almost like a chime thing, but he's definitely going mm-hmm. for this like somber tone on the song, of like yeah. I don't like. Is he decrying his his loss of innocence? I I don't know. I don't know. Man. I don't think he knows what he's fucking doing. That's a fair assessment. All right, so we got another rock group here. Sorry, were you done with that one? I was done with that one. Yeah, no, I, I was done with that one before we even started. All uh, right. Yeah, we're talking about Fle- Fleesh.
They are a Brazilian rock group. Uh, they started in 2014, but their first live performance was in 2019. Mm. Yeah. Um, they were two people. I think they just needed more members. So they did yeah, some probably. like recording, but couldn't play live. So this is 2017. Mm. So this is before... Um, before they ever played live, uh, they did a, a entire album of Rush covers called The Next Hemisphere, which is a reference to a Rush album called Hemispheres. That's right. And uh, what's up with this version? Well, it's it's also version, it's also about the same length, so I'm expecting. Oh, it's 420, bro. I, <laughs> so I'm expecting it, you know, to be about the same. And yeah, it's very similar to the boundary exception version, because yes. it is like a, a a less good version with a like female vocalist. Mm-hmm. And again, the vocals have the ener- like an energy problem. Yeah, I I think in this one as well. I I don't know why both of them have it, but they seem to. Yeah, and it's uh, I don't know. I don't know how to fix that. But yeah, that really sums this one up. The synth noise <laughs> that fills in at the same parts sounds a little bit different than the original. Uh, the toms yeah. in the intro sound a little more resonant to me. Um, yeah. But beyond that, this I mean, is just a minor good version of the original. Um, I've, what's odd is like, I feel like uh, for a, a female singer, uh, copying Getty Lee would be a lot easier, probably, because he sings mm-hmm. so high. Um but I don't know. Neither of the female versions of this uh, did it that great a job compared to the guys. No. So I, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on there. Um, let's see. What I didn't like take many notes on. I this mean, one, I really have. That's I think we kind of hit it on the head. Yeah. Like they're just trying to recreate it, and they like kind of do, but it's still a rush song. So you know, nothing really interesting happens in this version. Yeah, it's 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 a good recreation of it, and obviously there's some level of skill in doing that. But yeah, beyond being a, a shadow of the original, it doesn't really do much anything. Yeah, I uh, just I just kind of wanted them to do something something different, but they didn't. Yeah, so something amazing. Yeah. Speaking of uh, the the same thing, but with a different band, let's talk about Ninja Sex Party. <laughs> Yeah, so we've talked about them before uh, for Africa, I believe. That's correct. Um, yeah. They're technically a comedy band, according. Yeah, they do actually have Wikipedia. some comedy song hits. Um, I honestly have only listened to these two songs now. Maybe I should check them out. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, so their big hits, according to their their bio, are the cover of "Everybody Wants to Rule the World." Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. They oh, they got uh, they they got albums like 2011's "Not Safe for Work" and 2013's "Strawberries and Cream," both of which hit number one on Billboard's comedy albums chart. Oh, I wonder if that's a crowded area. Hmm. Yeah, it's probably not the. I mean, it would a comedy album would also be stand-up comedy albums. Oh, that's true. That's true. There's a yeah. lot more of those. Um, yeah. So again. This and, one is. And those are original songs on there. Right. And clear. this is, they have a couple cover albums, two or three. 
Um, yeah. This is... So this is from Under the Covers 2, which is the same uh, album that has Africa, Africa on it. Um, and I pretty much have the same thing to say about this version. I don't remember exactly what I said about Africa, but I have to imagine it was similar to... Yeah, it's close. It's pretty pretty similar to the original. Um, mm-hmm. They do a little bit better. They do a better job of the vocals, but that might just be because of production. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's... The the solo's different. There's more mm-hmm. shredding. Um, the guitar tone is quite a bit different. That's probably the most different thing. Of like, it feels more like rounded and on the guitar tone, but I, it it doesn't change it that much. And the yeah, synth, and the synth tone. And it's uh yeah, and the synth tone's different. And with these guys in their uh in their profile in their bio, it talks about how they're like this fusion of like 80s hair metal and like 80s dance music. And I feel like they really could have gone a little more ham on the synth. They have this good tone on it and it cuts through the mix every time it comes in. Yeah, it's a decent synthesizer sound. Uh there is a weird part like right at like 358 I put. It has this synthesizer mm-hmm. part where they do this like which which sound and it's got like a yeah yeah you're telling me they feel a hunger yeah yeah i'm telling you they feel a hunger that is exactly what i'm telling you so (laughs) so they have that in there i don't know if that means anything but it's there i couldn't remember what song it was though (laughs) <laughs> it's a hunger but then that song was stuck in my head this morning so i don't know man <laughs> so you subconsciously knew so it. i knew you just it didn't make I the just, connection oh man that's fun yeah and that's that's a technique i was thinking about is when when you're covering a song and it's not easy to break out of the mold of that song right sometimes what artists do is they will put in references to other pieces of that the artist they're covering other other songs right right but this is just some totally random if it's probably not even a reference but like yeah, if it's it was just coincidence. it's just a completely random other song or a rush song i don't know that well yeah but it's it's like so in the background i don't know mhm but if these guys had done like a like even maybe instead of the guitar solo just like a break into this just synthscape where it's just like heavy like 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 get weird for a minute like i think it would it would have been a lot better yeah, or something. Something to feel, give it a, a different feel. Um, mm-hmm. Clearly, these guys have, like, a better energy than a lot of the other ones. Like, this one feels like it had the most potential, but it still didn't really yeah. do much with it. Yeah, I, I just would have liked to have seen, uh, yeah, some sign of life in this. Some sign that it was something different. Yeah, so hopefully, there may be, hopefully, now, now that Rush is in the limelight again, for unfortunate reasons, but maybe maybe there'll be a rash of covers, and and some of them will be a little more interesting. Yeah, maybe we can get something good. It's uh, and like I've, every time we have Ninja Sex Party on, I think we said the same thing. It's like yeah. they sound like they they know what they're doing. I just wish they would do something more. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, it doesn't quite stick it. So I don't know. So that's the last one of our covers, yeah. which means we're gonna we're gonna come into our final verdict here with three categories um uh, yeah yeah we'll do three categories four categories 
Yep, let's do four categories. <laughs> Fuck. So we, we got the, the worst version, the best version, the version who 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 wants to seem, and the version who wants to be. Ooh. Okay. All right. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. The worst let's, version. Let's, yeah, worst version, What's Alex. The, what was I going to give worst version? Mm, I, I'm going to give it to Fleesh. Fleesh. To Fleesh. Because there's some others I didn't like, but that one I think fell the most flat because it was so similar, but didn't, but just lacked the energy and, and just didn't bring anything to the table. Yeah, it was, uh, like even, yeah, it somehow fell yeah. even flatter than, uh, fucking boundary exception. And it was so similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, I just didn't want to, like, we had nothing to say about it, so. Yeah, yeah, I guess by that metric, it has to be the worst because I don't like Wayne Bain, Wade Bainham's version. Yeah, but there but, were parts of it that I thought were kind of interesting. He at least was yeah, like, "What if I put strings things. in?" And like, it's maybe a little bit well-trod ground for like Christian rock or whatever. But it's a little different from the other versions we listen to, at least. Mm-hmm. And like, even like the the Rockabye Baby version, I don't necessarily even approve of that that label and what they're doing. Right, but. It it had like a little bit going on there. Yeah, where it try, like it tried something. Yeah, for like that style of music, it was fairly like textured. Like there was a lot of instruments, you know. Yeah, there was actually a lot going on if you look so, at it. Very very busy for a lullaby, but oh, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I'll agree with yeah. you. It's Fleesh. And sorry Fleesh. guys, Fleesh. I maybe you guys are doing better these days. Maybe your original works a lot better. Yeah, but I don't know. This one just fell flat. They, got, flat they have a whole band now, so oh no, yeah, it's still a duo, but they have a whole band. I assume they got like Here. a like a band. In 2019, band. the project finally hits the stage as a duo, doing their very first live concert in the USA. Oh, first in the USA. Oh, maybe they did play uh, live in Brazil. Anyway, okay. uh, on in on in April and in October, they hit the Brazilian stages with a full band. Okay. Uh, All right. Okay, so okay, I didn't okay. read the whole thing, and I was probably totally wrong about what I said before. But that that's okay. is probably not the first time that's happened. So that makes it better. But if Fleesh comes after us, I'm sending them your way. Please do. Please do. Now, Alex, what's the best version of this? Um, my favorite version was actually Winston K. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it felt a little more punky, felt a little more almost like it felt a little more personal, even though, again, it doesn't really technically have the limelight. I think the other way to interpret it is like, anyone here is kind of chasing the limelight so this is something they have to think about mm-hmm. you know so it, it felt a little more like raw it felt a little more immediate and yeah it it uh it worked for me as like yeah. a lo-fi uh, thing yeah i think it's uh and yeah maybe it's part coincidence that makes that version good and that he just didn't have the the recording equipment but yeah i think winston k brings a bit of human spirit to this and that's something that i think is integral to just performing music yeah and maybe oh, and, and sorry no go ahead yeah maybe like you said it was a lot of echo on the guitar that like filled it out mm-hmm. but i think it worked for filling it out um compared to like wade bainham who didn't really do that feels a lot like thinner but he was going for something very different yeah and so, yeah, I hate to agree with you for uh, like, like beat for beat. Yeah, for two I, weeks I feel like here. it's been possibly more than two weeks. Nah, it's possibly, 
Well, no, because we no, did, we uh, did with the Queen stuff. the week before. Yeah, and then it was... It's been two weeks. Yeah. Maybe three, because we did it on Cloudy, on Cloudy Day, too. Day. It was the third week. Anyway, lots of agreeing. Yeah. Um, lots, lots of agreement here in 2020. Yeah. That's what 2020 is about. Agree. Yeah. Agreeing. Uh, agreeing. So, Alex... Which which of these assholes wants to seem? Which of these assholes wants to seem? Um, mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to sound like too much of a dick, but I think the one who wants to seem has got to be the second one we talked about with all the different people, Kip Winger and company. Mm. Because, you know, I hate to say it, but they're not really stars. They're successful. Right. But they're not like I don't think they work as their own thing mm. together. Like they gotta be part of another group, you know. Like they're they're the heart. They're 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 working musicians, or maybe that's where they belong. So this is their attempt at being like their own thing, and I don't I don't think it quite works. Right. This is like raising together all the all the the nameless faces and being like, <laughs> we'll make a name together, and it's like, no. Oh. Not really. You guys are okay. Yeah. So that's that's the seam to me. That's the seam. Well, it seems to me that the seam should belong to Wade Bainham. It's just something about him seems false. That's you true. Know? We did mention that. Kind of the facade of, of mm-hmm. something. There's some yeah. some disconnect somewhere. And so it's like he's playing, you know, it's like he's playing the guitar and doing these these vocalizations because he knows that it represents a certain type of person or a certain type of music, and he's trying to project that. Mm-hmm. And so that's this, and maybe that's maybe that's cruel of me to say, maybe that's who he really is. But it's, I know this is, is <laughs> this part feels this, yeah, this a little is. cruel. <laughs> like those who wish to seem like which one of these just seem like they're fucking just like just which one of these are posers yeah exactly this is a very <laughs> a very callous category and so uh, to to any of to, to either wade Batum or kip winger and the gang like no hard feelings I know. we're not like indicting you of being bad people. i won't anyways. apologize <laughs> i'm classically you know the jerk on this podcast so that's yeah. That that's, is your role, the heel. Oh yes, that's a better word. The heel. <laughs> I'm the. Now, I, now tell me which yeah. one of these rad motherfuckers is uh, who, one who wants to be. Which one wants to be? I'm coming back to Winston K. He's just kind of doing his thing, you know. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be doing like that much work at self promotion. Cause I've never heard of him. That's my entire reason. <laughs> he's only he's got he's got seven hundred subscribers. Like he's not huge, but he's doing his thing, and uh, he's been doing it for a while, and he seems to enjoy it. So right on, Winston. Guitar. Yeah, and he's just like like in his uh, in his biography, he's like, this is what I what I've got. Like if you want to see some techniques or fleshing out a, a acoustic guitar and vocal performance, check me out. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to know what his thing is, and he doesn't mind whether or not it hits with people. Yeah, he's got a lot of consistency over several years, so mm-hmm. he he's got it. He's working. He wants, yeah, he's he working wants, at he it. He wants to be. Mm-hmm. 
that is our final verdict. Uh, if you agree with us, disagree with us, or you know, just want to talk to us, mention a cover version that we didn't see that maybe is very rich and full of life. Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag CoverMePod, or at JakeTheCressier, at some Alex Wise guy. You can also send us an email at CoverMePod at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, just whatever you feel like sending us. And uh, be sure to rate and review us. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Google Podcasts, rather, Apple Podcasts, all the favorite podcasting apps. Rate us, review us, subscribe to us, tell your friends about us. We don't have money for advertising. I barely have money to live and eat, bro. 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 So, you know, hit us up. And now, time for our bonus segment, in which I improvise a bonus segment in the time it takes me to finish this sentence. Ooh. Alex, yeah. I am going to ask you a, a series of Rush-related questions, and we'll see if you get them right. Okay. Actually, it's just going to be one Rush-related question. It's can you name the, the, the five Rush songs that were, were put into the Canadian Songwriting Hall of Fame? Mm, no. Is one of them limelight? Can you, yes, you got one. Uh, is, now you just got to guess four more. I just got to guess four more. I mean, they got to be like popular Rush songs, right? Yes, the most. they are. So it's got to be like Limelight, probably Tom Sawyer. Yes. Closer to the Heart. Yes. Um, like one of these might trip you up. Yeah. All right. I'm not expecting to get go five for five, but three for five, you know. Three for five is um, good. That's a passing grade. So is there another one off of Moving Pictures? Um, let me look at moving pictures real quick. <laughs> uh, 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 let me see. Okay, I've now familiarized myself with moving pictures. The answer is no, Alex. I'll allow you one more question. All right. Um, we'll see if I need another question. Um, so those three, what else would be, uh, is Fly By Night one of them? Good guess, but no. No? Okay. What else is like... Okay, so I've got three of them. Not Fly By Night. Um, What else? What else? What else? I'm trying to think of other like big Rush songs that would be considered songwriting. I'm having trouble with this. Songwriting Hall of Fame? Is, oh, yeah. No, no More off of... Hmm, is 2112? Would they put that in? That's crazy. That is crazy. Here, I'll give you the hint in that one of them is from the album Signals. Okay. The other is fr- is from the album Permanent Waves. Permanent Waves. Um, okay. Ah, I don't know Permanent Waves that well. Let me pull it up. Uh, I'm going to say the one on Signals is New World Man. Nope. The, the one from Damn Signals it. is Subdivisions. Oh, of course. Subdivisions. That's obvious. That should have been obvious. Yeah. Permanent waves, it's going to be the spirit of radio. Yes, okay. that is correct, Alex. <laughs> you got three for five, no hints, though, so yeah, that's pretty that's good. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take three for five. All right, that's our bonus segment. Uh, as we always say on Cover Me, uh, those who wish to be must subscribe to Cover Me.